Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele. And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by them. Amen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cathedral Bible. No, what is it? It's the Cathedral <laughs> Library Bible Podcast. Sure. I don't, I don't know the name of our own thing here. Um, but what I do know is it's episode nine, and we are reading from chapter six, verse 53, to the end of chapter seven. And this section is a lot about Jesus revealing the kingdom to even the Gentiles, which is something remarkable uh, that we just, I think, pass over a lot. But um, Rob, do you want to start us off with... Where does this where does this thing kick off? Sure. Before I get into a sermon again, <laughs> uh, we are we were just reliving the fact that our last two episodes we both had uh, sermons at the beginning, and so we're hoping to not do that to you every time. Uh, but we're taking it from verse fifty three, so we leave off. Um, what we've seen right before this is that Jesus is walking on the water, and that it has. Uh, essentially just scared the disciples. They didn't know what he was or what was going on. Um, and he, we, we laughed a little bit last time about how the fact that Jesus was actually just going to walk right by them yeah. and uh, had no intention of uh, jumping in the boat with them. He was just going to walk past. Um, but we've gone beyond this now and we get right in in verse 53 um, where it's now they've got to the other side of uh, the sea uh, as they were traveling at the end of our last podcast. Um, and as soon as they get off the boat, the people there immediately know who Jesus is. And it's really interesting because his fame has spread and it's spreading uh, like wildfire, to be honest. It is. Uh, it seems to be uh, consistently moving ahead and moving on. And uh, it's even making it to these regions that um, he hasn't been yet. Uh, at times we see him... Uh, consistently move to, again, crossing a sea or he crosses the lake. And by the time he's on the other side, uh, what he did on the last side has already made it there. Um, so either they're really bad at sailing um, <laughs> or this is just a demonstration of how quickly uh, his fame is spreading because of how differently uh, what he's doing is from the people uh, before him. And so they go back to this thing that we saw uh, before where we see the woman healed by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. We see this again where they start imploring him that he would even just allow his garment to touch people that were sick in the streets. Uh, so they're bringing the sick people uh, in beds to wherever they see him. And he, they, they're just willing to say, hey, just pass by us. Just allow your garment to, to sweep over the person that's sick and we know they'll be healed. Uh, so we know that this has been, uh, you know, what he's done in the past is starting to spread because they're specifically referencing um, his power now being transmitted through his physical garments, which we talked a lot about in that one pod podcast uh, and how important that is to see. Um, I, I'm going to keep going unless you have something to jump on there. I do. I was just thinking about... How, because that that continues in the book of Acts, where Peter has um, something handkerchief. Yeah, is that, in the, is that that's from Acts, and you know Peter's Peter's personal belongings carry the the capability of healing in the name of Jesus. Their shadows, yeah, have a similar effect. Yeah, 
And I, I was just thinking because uh, if this was the Gospel of Luke, I would say, oh, Luke is setting that up for Acts later to right. explain where that came from, right. that Jesus also did that. But then I went, no, this isn't Luke, this is Mark. So what's Mark including it for? Maybe because those stories are circulating, uh, even if they hadn't read Acts yet, which they I think chronologically Acts is written a bit later than Mark, but that doesn't mean that those stories aren't going around. Like the, what the apostles were doing was becoming known at this time. Yeah. And probably people who are becoming Christians are hearing these stories of these guys who their handkerchiefs can heal people, their shadows can heal people. And they're going, what is this thing? Yeah. I want to be involved in it, but I don't get it. Yeah. And so then Mark in writing his gospel, I think in part is trying to explain to people where some of the things they're experiencing are coming from. Right. And so he includes a few times here where similar things happened from Jesus. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's why he's including that and, and making such a point of it. Right. Is to um, almost answer some questions that probably his readers had. Yeah. Which then for myself, I that's one of those things where... I I haven't been coming to the scriptures with those questions because I haven't I'm not a um, a recently converted Roman pagan right. living in Rome who's just heard these stories about these crazy apostles yeah. people and I'm not coming to the to church going but what about these stories I've heard about the shadows and the yeah. those kind of things yeah. I come to it with a completely different life story and background and I'm already assuming those things. Right. So I don't have the questions. Yeah. But to put myself, I think part of reading scripture well is trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the, the first people who read these documents Yeah. and to understand it through their eyes because that's, the meaning that is in the scriptures was the meaning that was trying to be communicated to those people. Yeah. So to get to the core of the meaning and to understand what this, what the writer's really trying to say, you have yeah. to get your head in that mindset. So for me, I just go, okay, maybe, maybe um, Mark is trying to answer these questions that they're, they're coming to church with going, yeah. could you explain that a bit more? And he yeah. says, well, this comes from Jesus. Yeah. I think it's helpful too, even for our own uh, mission on the earth, because we're back now in a society that isn't necessarily first thinking those things are possible, mm -hmm. right? So there, uh, the idea of a God that breaks through into the physical and makes a difference in actual physical things yeah. and uses physical means in order to do that, mm. they would go, well, no, that's not, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That doesn't actually happen. There's a scientific explanation for this or right. that or whatever else. Yeah. There's medicine. There's whatever it is mm -hmm. for healing and for, you know, making sure someone is better. Mm -hmm. But there isn't some spiritual uh, thing mm -hmm. happening behind it all. And so I think that the for us today, uh, this is really important, this understanding that God still works through physical means. Yeah. Because it actually gives us – it's supposed to give us a hope – and an excitement to say, hey, if God worked, not, not just through Jesus, right? Jesus is on the earth. He is God in flesh. But also his disciples also worked like this. Then should we not be seeing these things today? And could we be believing that today, on these, in these days, 
that God could do these same sorts of things working through us, very physical, sinful people yeah. to make these amazing things happen. So it has, for me, I feel like, oh, it's got a really practical life application for us today. Yeah. This idea that Jesus, and again, it ties into what you're saying. Jesus, Jesus' story is being told and being written while the book of Acts is happening, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. yeah, the book of Acts is happening, but people are writing the gospels and going, let's talk about why this is happening. Let's tell the story yeah. of what's going on here. This is why this is happening. Jesus already did this stuff. Do you remember? Right. So they're able to call to recognition. Hey, remember that Jesus guy? Uh, for us, it's a little bit, di- a little bit, you know, different. <laughs> yeah. A few thousand years ago, but um I just think about a good application for us. It is in the midst of that. And, and I think, I think it's, it really hits home how quickly the frame, the fame spreads. Hmm. Um, when Jesus is actually at work, we saw it in, in some of the earlier uh, portions of Mark. Some people will respond with Jesus. You need to leave because this freaks me out. I don't want you here. Hmm. And some people will respond with, where is that Jesus? I need to go find him. And I think that we need to see that and hear that for us as a church to go. When Jesus is really on the move, people are going to respond. And they're going to respond either with rejection or they're going to respond with, how do I get in contact with that Jesus? Um, And we see a group of people now coming and saying, I hear you do this. Could it possibly be true? Hmm. Uh, How do we get in contact with you? So. We can keep going. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. We're jumping into chapter seven. And um, now I, w- I was really intrigued because I think that I have always read the story of the Pharisees with uh, some form of contempt uh, in my own heart <laughs> immediately. Yeah. And I like the way that this is put here. And it doesn't mean necessarily that Pharisees didn't have um, something in their hearts against Jesus, but it doesn't say that. The Pharisees gathered to him, um, and while they're gathered to him, they notice something. Now, it doesn't say they gathered to him in order to challenge him. Hmm. It doesn't say they they came to uh, ask him questions and find him at fault. It just says they gathered to him. They just came to him, but while they're there, they notice that Jesus' disciples are not actually following the way of the elders or their elders, the way of the past, the traditions of their people. And that's a cause for concern for a Pharisee because they want to be uh, completely pure to the utmost. Um, And so their focus is keeping the traditions as far as possible to the extent of creating new traditions in order to be better at keeping the old traditions. And if, you know, there's some background to that. Um, Mark goes on and explains a little bit of why they would be frustrated what they would do, the the washing of hands, the washing of pots, those sorts of things. And so it doesn't even say with frustration, which I love. Again, it says the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do your disciples not uh, walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So this is in verse five. Now, I love this partially because Jesus' response is so drastic <laughs> because he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> it's like, I keep thinking, you know, uh, and and the reason I think that I I actually don't think the Pharisees are coming after him here. 
and Jesus goes after them. But I think yeah. that what Jesus follows up and what he says with his follow-up is the reason that I think that. It's because he's he's showing them how far they've strayed. Mm-hmm. So he goes on to quote Isaiah, uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That was a big one. As I read that, I was like, as a teacher, as a, someone responsible to come to the scriptures and study well and to bring to the people of God what God is asking of them, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really hit me. Uh, I just think Jesus is trying to say to these men, and they're not going to get it unless he is in their face about it. That's kind of what I take from it, is that they're zealots. They are um, they're the holiest of the holy men is how they view themselves. Yeah. And Jesus goes, do you not realize you're not, you're actually complete hypocrites. You're not holy at all. Cause if he'd done it any softer, if he hadn't shocked them with it, mm-hmm. they would have argued, mm-hmm. they would have fought, but instead he's got to hammer them with it and go, guys, you missed, you have completely missed the point. Your worship doesn't even count. Mm-hmm. That's how far you've missed the point for a guy that's saying like, we're the holiest of the holy. We're the, we're the true righteous, good ones to be confronted with the fact that they're completely missing it is a pretty shocking accusation from Jesus. Yeah. I really feel bad for the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah. I Because you grow up in Sunday school hearing the gospel is Jesus versus the Pharisees. Totally. Basically. Totally. But the more, like you're showing here, the more you read it, you realize they're actually not bad guys. No, they're not trying to be at they're, very least. No. Like no. they're... Of all the types of Jewish people you could be in in 30 AD, the Pharisees are the ones that we would be. <laughs> We're going, okay, we know there's a God. We know we've messed up somewhere in our past. Yeah. We got to figure out um, how to reconcile ourselves with God. Yeah. yeah. Because they missed his presence being with them as a people. Totally. And so we, charismatics... Evangelicals, yeah, they would all be Pharisees. Going, right. we there, there'd be kind of like two different camps of Pharisees. Some sure. of them going, we just need the presence of God, and the others going, I think we figured out how. Yeah, we got to follow His word. Let's get into His word. We'll figure out how to bring His presence back. Yeah, we'll figure out how to do what God wants because we know what went wrong was we didn't obey His commands. Right. Yeah. So we went into exile, and He graciously led us back. Yeah. So now we better, we better like pull up our bootstraps here and do our best. Yeah. And then they get so into it out of a desire out of what's weird is their heart is to originally their heart is to see the presence of God return and to honor God and to do what he wants and to worship him through the commands. Yeah. But after like three, 400 years of this pursuit now is the time of Jesus. And he says, well, now you're, you're honoring me with your lips and what you're doing, but you're actually, your heart's gone astray somewhere. So it's still a heart problem. Totally. Yeah. I'm with you. The more I read, the more I go, Oh no, (laughs) because I see myself in them. Uh, I see my, my own faults to be honest in them. And I think the, You know, Jesus goes on in verses 9 through uh, 13, and uh, I don't have a lot to say specifically about what Jesus is saying. I don't, I think I might not totally understand to its fullest extent, 
But ultimately, the goal of what he's saying is, God is very specific, guys. He says this. Now you've added these traditions to try and make sure that happens, and you've overwrote what God was saying. Yeah, you've now made what God is saying not even worth it anymore or yeah. valid anymore, and it's supposed to be just what God is saying. Um, and so He is like, He is harsh with them in this section. But as we like, and so I mean, this is a little tough because we're not here. If you, if anyone is, which I don't, I don't expect, but uh, that would be super exciting to hear. If anyone has never read the book of Mark and you're following along with us mm-hmm. for the first time, or you're new to Christianity, you know, later on we find out where the Pharisees' hearts really did lie, right? It's very mm-hmm. anti-Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is ultimately calling out their hearts before they see it themselves. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't think they're saying, yeah, we're anti-Jesus yet. No, I think they're going, what is this guy? What's going yeah. on here? This is very strange. And then they show up and see people not actually following the very things they thought mm. needed to be followed mm. in order to actually attain relationship with God. Yeah. And so Jesus challenges them in ways before he actually says anything to them, mm. that his way is mm. challenging. Yep. Um, and now he's challenging their hearts before they even understand their hearts are off. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the heart. Yeah. And I think, like, they, because they, you're right, they're just trying to figure out what Jesus is. They're not yeah. against him at this point. Because yeah. he would have fit in the camp, uh, like, as far as appearances go, he would have fit in the camp of a Pharisee, like a, yeah. a rabbi coming right. to say, I actually have a way of living out what God wants. Right. Yeah. And follow me, I'll show you how to do that. Yeah. Which is essentially what all the Pharisaic teachers were doing. And so now these other Pharisees are going, okay, so which, like, explain your way a little bit more. Yeah. And it's actually so radically different than the other versions of that because it was it was always an interpretation of the law. Yeah. That was the way that you would follow. So a different rabbi would interpret it differently. Right. And so if you followed this rabbi or that rabbi, you would be following, how you know, what's the basic... What's your hermeneutic? You're the way you interpret yeah. the law. Yeah. And how do you live it out yeah. and apply it? And Jesus seems to be doing something completely different, which is, I'll show you how to follow the law. It's not about an interpretation method. It's about your heart has a problem. Yeah. And so he says to these Pharisees, the you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, what, what's the way you're interpreting these things? Because you're not doing the washing that we do. Yeah. So how how are you interpreting all this stuff? And he's like, it's never been about the interpretation. And yeah. Well, and they and he continues with that same way of thought, right, through like verses 14 through, through 23. Yeah. He, their concern is defilement because they're wanting holiness because mm-hmm. they believe God cannot be with those that are unholy. And so your disciples are doing something physically that is making them defiled. And Jesus goes, oh, no, no, defilement is of the heart. And so then he he goes through all of their misunderstandings, right, of the heart. And then immediately goes again into the next and says, do you not understand that nothing that goes into your body can defile you? It's only what comes out of you that defiles you. And And I mean, immediately that's a, everything's turned on its head because even his own disciples don't understand yeah he what he says it. it's like a mic drop 
Because I love it because he says it yeah. in verse 15. Nothing, there is nothing outside a person that can, uh, that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Verse 17, <laughs> and when he entered the house and left the people, like it's like he says it, turns around, goes into a home. And everyone's like, what? Uh, right. And the disciples immediately are going, what are you talking about? We don't even know what you're talking about. This is completely completely opposite to everything we've been taught. Yeah. And Jesus goes in and, and at one point he is specifically talking about foods, right? Mm-hmm. But he's still keeping it in the context of the heart. Yeah. Uh, and what I love is that he never actually condemns the washing. Right. Yeah. He never actually condemns the desire that they have. He never, he never actually says, the things you're doing are worthless. Now, Jesus is a pretty straight talker. He would tell them that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't actually go after the stuff. His concern is the heart. And so if they had been, uh, my assumption based on these things, as I'm reading it, I'm going, if those Pharisees would have been doing all of that washing with a proper heart, they would have understood what Jesus' disciples were doing. And even if they'd asked the question, his answer would have been different because they would have been worshiping with their hearts. Hmm. And so he would have just been relaying the new way rather than correcting. Hmm. What is it like you bring up the defiling part? Um, It's interesting because we're talking, we're just noticing how Jesus is using creation in all these good ways. Yeah. And how creation is such a part of how God works through the world. Yeah. And then Jesus says, it's not about these outside things coming into you. Like it's not about whether this bit of creation has been washed properly or not. Right. It's about what comes out of you. Right. So there's like, what's the connection there between how Jesus is using creation and then saying to them, so creation's important. Yeah. But also it can't defile you. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Very interesting. Maybe that's when we just leave (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't ponder on it i don't know that i have an answer for that but i think that's actually really it's more about putting creation creation in its proper context um hmm yeah i don't know i yeah i have a lot of thoughts on that but nothing that's going to make sense if i start talking about it right now so i probably shouldn't (laughs) yeah we just keep moving yeah So, I mean, so he goes through uh, about what defiles a person. He ends with this piece, and I I just wanted to hit on it quickly. Mm -hmm. So he's talking about declaring all foods clean in verse 19. And he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within comes of the heart of man. So again, he's going back to the heart, right? This isn't about the food you ingest. It's not about the water you use. It's about where is the heart at. Come, so out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
all these things come from within and they defile a purpose, a person, sorry. You know, there was two that really stuck out to me there as I'm reading them. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw them out. Are you going to confess right here? No, oh. no confession. Uh, there's a lot of confession that could happen, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, yeah, out of those. I'm just kidding. Uh, there's two that really stuck out to me. And so the, okay, so maybe I'll start with the first one, which is just, this one isn't the where I'm going. But I love that murder is in like the sins of the flesh. Because hmm. when I grew up, I don't know why, but I always had it in me that things like murder or like those sorts of things are, it's like someone had given themselves over to an evil spirit. Like, like nobody, you can't actually do that. Unless yeah. You're possessed. Exactly. Like degree. you couldn't yeah. actually do that. And he just goes, nah, it's sin. Like it's sin mm-hmm. of the flesh. Like mm-hmm. that's just a, a, it's just like, you it's know, in the same list as evil thoughts. Exactly. Which is quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to wake up a bit with about what sin is. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the two ones that stick out to me that I go, I want to understand these are foolishness huh. and sensuality. Hmm. And the reason that those stick out to me is because I have, uh, well, I think we live in a world that is very, uh, it's very interesting what we think about sensuality. Um, yeah. I think part of why I say that is because the, we want to say there is no such thing as sensuality that's evil anymore. Okay. That it's only lust that's evil. Okay. Yeah. So I've heard, and and I don't, and I'm going to get into something that could be taken really wrong. Okay. okay. So we're wading into Go some waters it. here. Um, but I think that it's something we have to understand as Christians. And it is, we've had a backlash against, um, what's the word that we used to use all the time? Modesty. Okay. We used we had a bat. We've had a backlash against modesty within the church. Going, uh, we've forced people, and this is predominantly men teaching women, and so I have a lot of issues with this. Yeah. Teaching that women should be modest, and then it wouldn't cause lust. Mm. I I believe fundamentally, foundationally, that's incorrect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Modesty does not matter when it comes to lust. Mm-hmm. I just, I am 100% convinced of that. Uh, but on the other side of it, if we can get out of that conversation, there is something around sensuality. And this is not about women or men. This is about humanity. Mm-hmm. That there is evil in our hearts around sensuality. And it doesn't, and and so I, part of what I, again, I'm not studying this. I'm just reading it. I'm going, oh, interesting. I wonder what that, means and so both with it and foolishness so i'm just kind of throwing this out there to those that are listening when i come across those things and i go oh i wonder what that means that's when i go study yeah um so in my in my initial reading the problem that we can have is that in our initial reading we can read something and read something that's not true Mm -hmm. right the definition we hold of a word or our expectation of what's being said um it's not actually what the writers of the scripture or the people that translated it intended it to mean. Yeah. And so we have to, at times go, Oh, I better figure out what that's saying because if that's saying this, then (laughs) that's a big deal. And if it's not saying that, then it means something totally different. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there to people that, especially in moments like this, we can't start calling people 
to um, <clears throat> holy living or sinful, uh, sinless life, those sorts of things, uh, to flee from their wickedness and have a misunderstanding of what God's calling wicked. Hmm. And so when I hear those two things, I have, I have an idea of what those two things mean. And I explained what I immediately think of about sensuality, where it takes my mind. Yeah. But I would need to figure out if that's actually what the scriptures are saying, because there is a definition that they're saying. Yeah. And if that's not it, then I, it, then I need to know that before I start making assumptions. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I say all of that to try and push our listeners to when is the proper time to go study? Yeah. When is the time that they have to go grab a commentary or an accordance or something to say, oh, this word in the Greek means this. Yeah. And it's best translated sensuality. Yeah. But it actually is defined like this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. So that's, uh, I didn't know you were going there as like a how to read the Bible lesson. But right. as, you're, <laughs> as you're talking right now, as soon as you started asking the question, what do these two words mean? I grabbed my phone and started doing that, yeah. looking them up. Um, the best, like if you can... F- if you have a concordance or whatever program, you can find what that word is in the original language, the Greek. Um, because if you just search sensuality yeah. in the Bible, um, you're going to come up, you're going to find other places where the word sensuality is, but sometimes that word will have been a different word in the Greek. Yeah. And so there's two different words that can be translated sensuality, but the other way around. So what I found was this word sensuality in the same translation Sometimes is translated licentiousness, lewdness, um, debauchery. Right. And so when you want to find out what the word means, you have to take into consideration all the ways it gets used. Yeah. And so you kind of put it in a category with with those other things yeah. that it possibly could be translated as, but also what's the best version of it for this context. Yeah. And letting um, – it's, it's really helpful to have a dictionary if you can find out, you know, this word in the Greek gets translated in these different ways yeah. or, you know, has this definition. But the best definition is always how else scripture is using it yeah. um, because words mean what they mean to those who use them. Yes. And so <laughs> exactly. if, if you just – if you just find the other places where that word is used in scripture and then read those few verses around, you go, oh, I see what it means here. And I see how it's meaning something just a little bit different here. Because words have different nuances mm-hmm. which get pulled out depending on how they're being used and what other what else is being talked about, yeah. um, those kind of things. And then sometimes they're like, again, they're hyperlinks. So yeah. you think foolishness, well, what does it mean to be a foolish? You know, there's so many different ways that we could define those things. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start thinking about foolishness in our own contexts and think, what would that mean to be foolish? Yeah. How would I be foolish? But if we start defining it for ourselves, we're missing already that foolishness is a very, like it's a biblical theme. Right. And particularly, it's the, it's the antithesis to wisdom. Right. So it's used all throughout Proverbs as be wise, don't be a fool. Yes. Yeah. And so probably when uh, Jesus here is saying foolishness as a sin, he's saying, like, remember the entire book of Proverbs and how there's two characters, a wise one and a fool. Yeah. 
everything connected to the fool in Proverbs, he's just lumping in here yeah. in the sins, in this sin list is just saying foolishness. Totally. Which, which is massive. Yeah. So like, and that's part of it, right? Is that I can look at that list and foolishness is actually really low mm-hmm. on my list. Mm-hmm. Like I look at it and I go, Ooh, murder. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. It's and, like, and, and lastly, foolish, like uh, don't be an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's how that's the that's how I would define foolishness. Yeah, I think of teenagers yeah. and my teenage years mm-hmm. and how foolish I was. Right. Yeah. And I made a lot of foolish mistakes as a teenager. And I go, okay, don't be like that. Yeah. That is not the same as the fool Proverbs is depicting. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that those are not the same thing, all of a sudden foolishness is like. okay that's a lot yeah right but i think that's kind of the point and i think almost always in the scriptures as a whole we have to remember when when we're getting a list of like sins Mm -hmm. uh, sins of the flesh uh, paul does that a few times we have to realize that there's a ton being said in a single word yeah it's never just a single act right right and so you look at murder and then you look at the Sermon on the Mount and realize that Jesus says, oh, by the way, hatred is the same as murder. Yeah. And you go, crap. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's there's always that. And I think, again, because this is the whole point of everything Jesus is saying, mm-hmm. is it always comes back to the heart. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once again, so maybe not the act of murder. No. But have you hated someone in your heart? Yeah. Because if you hate someone in your heart, it's like committing the act of murder, which means you're a defiled person. So maybe you're keeping the laws, Pharisees. But if you hate someone, yeah. you have murder in your heart. Yeah. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach them. And it's what he's trying to teach us. Yeah. And so for us, maybe we lived a, maybe we live a really charmed life. And we don't have a ton of big problems. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have to deal with what seems like the big sins. But consistently, there is coveting, there is foolishness, there is envy, there is slander. And what does that actually mean? Well, it's equal to murder. Yeah. And that has to be a big deal to us as we, you know, hear Jesus teach on sin, on and what his kingdom does look like, because his kingdom is actually one that uh, if out of the heart, all of this evil comes, then also out of the heart is goodness supposed to come in mm. the kingdom? Yeah, totally. So now I was going to continue on a rant, but you just basically said it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, onwards from here, uh, Jesus consistently, uh, he it says he, uh, there from there he arose and he went uh, away. Uh, he goes into uh, other regions, other towns, and he comes into contact with a woman who has a daughter that is demon-possessed. Uh, as we've seen earlier in the book of Mark, Jesus has dealt with demon possession very specifically. Um, but this time he does it differently. Uh, what happens here is he gives a parable to the woman. And her response to that parable um, is full of faith. Jesus says, Hmm. and because it's full of faith, uh, he has granted the um, release of that daughter from the spirit, 
without being there and without actually doing anything. Uh, it's based on the woman's response of faith. Now, well, I find it, there's a, there's a number of reasons this is really fascinating to me. One is the parable itself or what Jesus says and how she responds. That's really fascinating itself. Um, the other is just that Jesus says, Hey, good job having faith. I just went and did that thing while we were talking. I love that. I love that. That, that is a, that should be a really exciting picture for us Hmm. of how we come to, to Jesus and how sometimes when we come to him with a problem, um, so it, if you go if you go to verse twenty six, say she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, "Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." But she answered him, "Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs." And he said to her, "For this statement, you may go your way. Go your way. The demon has left your daughter." And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So, I mean, my, uh, this is probably because of my studies, but I read this and I hear he's uh, differentiating between the people of faith and the people not of faith, mm. right? It's a connection with a Gentile woman uh, in some respects, but I'm listening to it and I'm going, this, this woman came with true faith and it's an example of no matter, uh, no matter who it is that comes to Jesus, when you come to Jesus with real faith, he answers. Hmm. Um, and so he gave her a, a, a parable. A, a, he gave her a response that didn't actually necessarily make sense or didn't seem like it was making sense in the moment. And, and she doesn't blink an eye. And I think about how many times I stand there and go, but God, that doesn't even make sense. Hmm. I asked you for this and you're giving me that. What, how are those related? And she hears through it and goes, oh, I see the relation. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, but isn't this true, God? And he goes, yeah, you're right. It is true. Good for you. And this is a non-Jewish woman a non-Jewish with no woman. background in understanding the God of Israel. Yeah. Probably her stories being close neighbors, totally. but. And no, okay. So, and then another point. Yeah. So if I'm reading it right, so my straight, I'm just going to talk about my straight reading. Mm-hmm. He's saying the children that he's referring to probably Israel or the people of God as we know it currently. Uh, The bread being like what he's giving away with healing, the power of God, the kingdom coming, that it comes first for the children and not to the dogs. He's looking the woman in the eye and saying, you're a dog. Mm -hmm. They are not. Mm -hmm. The kingdom first comes to those that are not. And she doesn't even bat an eye. She doesn't fight him. She doesn't say, how dare you? Yeah. She doesn't say, well, who are you? Who are you to say that to me? She goes, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs, Jesus. She is actually willing to take that. What seems like so demeaning of a reference, she's willing to hear it and not respond with anger, but instead respond with faith. Yeah. And it's actually, it's in that Jesus gives her the answer that she was seeking. Yeah. I, could you imagine anyone in our context, in our day and age, using a reference like that to someone? 
and getting a positive response. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a lot of people that say things like yeah. that. But <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I love this interaction because he answers it without being present with the girl. Mm-hmm. He, he removes the, the demonic powers from this girl from afar, just in conversation. Mm-hmm. It's based on the faith of the mother that this girl is set free. And it is um, in what could have been offensive to her when Jesus is saying, actually, this isn't for you first. I want to give this to someone else. She responds so humbly to Jesus, but faithfully. It's not self-deprecating. It's just full of faith and humbly. He goes, well done, well done. And how many times do we hear an answer from God and get angry and respond with frustration and go, but God, it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You should do it this way instead. Instead, she recognizes he's the king. It's his kingdom. And if he tells her she's a dog in the kingdom, she's going to go, I accept that. Mm-hmm. I accept my position in your kingdom. Yeah. And even those dogs would get this. And he goes, true. And smiles upon her. Yeah. Talk about the ability to recognize the authority of a king. Yeah. And your place in the kingdom. Because the disciples are like, we've got a place in the kingdom. Yeah. We know what it is. Yeah. Can I be on your right or at least your left? Yeah. And he's like, I don't think you get what the kingdom is, yeah. especially when the king is someone who has come to lay down his life yeah. for many and totally. to serve and uh, not be served. He goes, if that's the king of this kingdom and you're looking for the power and all that, and this woman comes and somehow understands uh, – yeah, I'll put, take the place of a dog. That's fine. Yeah. Because even a dog in your kingdom is blessed. Yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> that will preach. Makes me want to do a Mark series. Yeah. It's like, wow. Hope Stephen's listening to this. <laughs> uh, he probably should be. <laughs> oh, man. Um do you mind if I keep going? Yeah, no, please do. Okay, we're at the end. I want to I want to wrap it up when we get to wrapping it up. Oh, okay. I just well, something I can't, I can't wait. Tip me off to something awesome. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Uh so we move on. Uh so she goes home, finds that her child is uh in bed with no uh not uh possessed any longer. Mm-hmm. He returns uh to a region where he's just been to the Sea of Galilee. Um <clears throat> And he is brought a man who is deaf uh, and has a speech impediment. Um, who knows if that's exactly the same thing or if they're two different things. Um, but they asked him to lay his hands on him. And he takes him aside. And this is a really interesting thing because, again, Jesus heals in a different way than he has before. Hmm. So consistently we hmm. see over and over and over again, he keeps doing things slightly different. Hmm. In my, just in my like very plain reading, I hear that and I go, that's, that's the love of God being shown. Mm. God actually responds to each person differently intentionally because I think it's what they need most. Wow. So he pulls this person aside to do it privately. He's not going to make a public spectacle of it. He doesn't want to do it in the same way he's done it before. It's not just laying hands on. He's been asked to lay hands on and heal. Instead, he does it very differently. 
sticks his fingers in his ears, <laughs> spits on his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> it's really disgusting stuff, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he all wet willy. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be healed? Wow. Yeah. Um, but then he actually prays. He looks up into the sky, into the heavens, and he says, be opened. Hmm. And I think, okay, Jesus, once again, doing it differently, right? It's not just speaking to them and changing it. It's not, uh, you know, to the actual person that has the ailment. It's not just his, his uh, garment. It's not just laying his hands on. It's not just his voice. Uh, it's not just the faith. Now it's in prayer. He declares something. Uh, his ears are opened, his tongue was released, and he immediately speaks plainly. And then, this I just loved this. I just could dwell on this just for my own enjoyment. Um, Jesus charges them, tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. I love that line. Yeah. And just going, he consistently tells people, now don't tell anyone. And they consistently go, guess what Jesus did? Like, there's just like a gut reaction. And... I feel like in some in some respects, I I hope Jesus kind of hung his head, going, "Oh, come on, man," because <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Yeah. But, anyways, this is um, this is our end. So I'm going to let you wrap it up because we're we're okay. at the end here. Okay, tell me. I'm going to read to you a few verses from the Old Testament. Okay, tell me if it sounds something like what we've just been reading. Sure. Uh, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning shall be hidden. Sounds some, somewhat like what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and not even in a very little while, uh, even Lebanon, that is the outside outskirts of Israel yeah. and the non-Jews, yeah. will be turned into a fruitful field. Mm. Um in that day, the deaf will hear. Out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The meek will obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among all mankind will exalt in the Holy One of Israel. Um, the scoffers will be put to silent, silence. And the children of those who sanctify my name will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit or in their heart will come to an understanding. Those who murmur will accept instruction. Wow. Does that sound similar to what's going on in all these stories? Absolutely. So that remember in chapter seven where Jesus says, Hey, Isaiah prophesies about you hypocrites. Yeah. And then he quotes Isaiah. Yeah. This is the 10 verses after that quotation. Wow. So I go, I wonder if Mark had this on his mind when he was putting these stories together and stringing things together. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Totally. And I think hmm. that's one of those things where I go, every time the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, I should probably go back and read <laughs> everything around that quote. Yeah, yeah. Because they probably didn't just have that quote in mind. They're yeah. not pulling it out of context. Yeah. They're trying to draw your attention to remember this passage. Yeah. And then subtly work through the stories, everything else that's going on. Yeah. And, and then also to, that's probably a really good principle for how we interpret scripture. 
to let scripture interpret scripture. Absolutely. So if you read this passage that we just did in episode nine and you go, I don't know what to make of this or some of these stories are weird, yeah. whatever, what is going on here? Yeah. I mean, the number one question anytime you're interpreting scripture is what's God doing? Yeah. Look for yeah. what God's doing. He's the main character. It's all about him. So what's Jesus doing? But even here, sometimes you're like, what is Jesus doing? <laughs> or why is he doing that? Yeah. I don't get why. He just he's told doing. me and I still don't understand. Yeah. And yeah. he's mad at the people who don't understand. So now I feel bad. <laughs> well, you know, he Mark's tipping us off to go, you want to know what's going on? Go back to Isaiah chapter 29. Yeah. Jesus quoted verse 13. Keep reading the next 10 verses and you yeah. start pulling out things and you go, Oh, the meek are obtaining fresh joy in the Lord. Scoffers are being put to silence. God is um, is bringing people back from not understanding. He's opening the eyes of the blind. Yeah. Lebanon is becoming a fruitful field. Yeah. This is what's happening in this passage. Yeah, it's great. So good. Well, I think that's the end of episode nine. Uh, that wraps up up until the beginning of uh, chapter eight. So until next time, uh, everyone that's tuning in with us, hopefully you are enjoying uh, the time through the book of Mark like we are. Uh, we are loving doing this every time we get an opportunity. It is one of the best things that we get to do is just jump into the scriptures like this and, and discuss it. Uh, please uh, let us know if you have any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, that's about all we got. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>